Welcome survivors, burnout community, and those just interested. It's Kelly Bubolt, owner, trainer, and burnout prevention mentor at KB Training Connections. Burnout is not taboo. It's our reality in this fast-paced society. But we are not going to let it drive the narrative to our stories. We're going to do something about it. So let's dig in. Well, I'm super excited that Joy is here today. So she actually got connected to me through one of my workshop participants that suggested that I go meet with her. And the reason why is... I really struggled with meditation and mindfulness. I cannot turn my mind off. I am a stress addict. Anytime I have a moment of space, I like to fill it with either parenting, task obligations, distractions, or I will fill it with work or thinking about work or what I have to do for work. And so it was very difficult for me to step into the mindfulness and meditation techniques, although they have huge impacts in your recovery. They have huge impacts in preventative measures that you can do to maintain this environment and life away from burnout and and chronic stress. And I just, I couldn't figure it out. And I tried multiple techniques. And then one day I just started staring at a wall and I stared at it a very long time. I didn't fall asleep. And then suddenly 15 minutes passed. And one of my friends said, do you know that's meditation? And I said, what do you mean? I think that meditation is your typical modern Instagram type post where people are in a cross-legged style. They got the fancy clothes, um, the the vibration bowls, and, you know, they're out in nature and it's, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon because I don't know when they work. And that's that's my vision of meditation is is what is put on social media. And when they said that, they said, it's it's just letting thoughts pass. It's giving yourself that space, that moment. They said, you got to go talk to Joy. So we, uh, me and Joy connected and she told her story. And man, is it just like us? And I realized that we have put meditation and mindfulness in this whole other separate bucket of something that we cannot achieve and something that is more difficult than what it actually is. So I brought Joy onto the show to kind of tell her story. So let's let's start there, Joy. Tell us a little bit about where you've been and how you've even gotten to this, this place in time. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks at so many levels. Thanks for having this podcast and just your genuine interest in helping people. Thank you for being you and being so honest in the process. And I'm glad to be here. And I also want to point out that I understand all that you said about meditation, uh, and we'll get to that later. So if folks are listening, thinking, no way can I do meditation, just stay, stay put for a little bit, because we can make it doable. It doesn't need to be so big and grand. My story is that after college, I went directly to graduate school. I got my PhD in statistics. And the reason I got my PhD was because I wanted to teach at the college level. I learned that really early on in graduate school. I love teaching. I love being in the classroom. And after graduate school, I got a position at Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is why my husband and I came here 20 plus years ago. And I loved that job. It was a dream job. I loved working with the students. I loved being in an academic community. I, I loved all parts of it. And I just really threw myself into the career, into the job. And I that worked for quite a while until it didn't work. And I think folks in the audience can kind of resonate with that. When you, I'll just speak for myself, when I was working really long hours, 60, 70 hour work weeks, that was focused mostly all externally, 
Uh, it's almost like what you were saying, Kelly, at like filling that space, filling space all the time and not necessarily filling the space with things that are nourishing or, 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 or even like getting to know what our needs are. I was kind of absent. My inner life was absent at that time, but I just kept going because that's what you did. That's what the culture was telling me to do until my body started giving me signals. Uh, the stress was just accumulating in my body. I had irritable bowel syndrome. I think that might've been one of the first things that came around. Uh, acid reflux, uh, that sense of irregular heartbeat. I remember going to my doctor and having all these tests done. I was so concerned about all these things. And then I think the thing that really got me to make a change is I, I woke up you know, after being asleep for maybe an hour with just a full-blown panic attack. And it was just so frightening. It was such a frightening experience. And as a lifelong athlete, I really trust my body. So my body was giving me really clear signals. And it was at that point that, and this was maybe six or seven years into my time at Lawrence, that I decided I really needed to do something different. I'd heard about meditation for a very long time, but I decided to make a commitment to it. And I did, uh, and that commitment to meditation and more generally to mindfulness over the last 20 years has really radically changed my life in positive ways. But let's stay tuned still with that Lawrence story because it didn't radically change it within six months or a year. I mean, I was still having to work through these things. Uh, there's no panacea that we can like get to and it's like bit by bit. So I kept going, but I had this practice of mindfulness and meditation so I started saying no more. I started choosing differently. I started working fewer hours gradually. I started building up my own like hobbies, things that I was interested in my, and looking inward, getting therapy, doing meditation, doing more journaling. I did a lot of these practices and I still was in this place where it was pretty stressful. Uh, I tried, and again, the audience might um, relate to this. I tried to create change in the community, like, you know, like kind of beating the drum for balance and, you know, we're working way too much. We're expecting way too much of ourselves and the students. And, and that just fell flat. And I realized that isn't where I should be putting my energy because I can't change the entire system, but I can change what I'm doing every day how I'm spending my time, how I'm orienting, which for me was the students. I love the students. I just wanted to spend time with them. So I did that for years and, and I got tenure. I did all the things. And, and ultimately, Kelly, it came down to one fall I showed up and this is when we're supposed to be energized and excited. And I was just exhausted and anxious and filled with dread. After years of trying to kind of rearrange the puzzles within this career to make it work for me. And that's when I realized I actually needed to leave this career, um, which was a bit unheard of because once you have tenure at a college, you just don't see many folks leaving. But I could just tell how my inner life and my outer life were in crisis. They were an absolute crisis. And it was for a host of different reasons. I don't, that's a different podcast where we're just talking about that. but. There's a lot of reasons for it, but I really knew true in my heart that I needed to shift careers. Uh, and I loved Lawrence, so I wanted to do that in a, a, a good kind way. And so I let them know I was resigning, but then stayed on for the whole year. So we all had a transition period. 
And then after I left that career, I left some space for me to decide what was next. Really quickly learned how much I just love teaching, not learned, I knew that already. I relearned how much I love teaching. And so I just shifted to teaching meditation and mindfulness, which have really radically changed my life in positive ways. And that's what I've been doing now for the last eight years. Yeah. And you know, what's what's interesting about that story and what I love is that when people start to give space for themselves and their hobbies and what they enjoy, it's almost like their energy and power just starts to recenter what's important. And then you start to see the misalignment and the mismatches in your life, which may have been like you, like you said, your, your whole career. Um, that was the same with me. Uh, when I started to even have space, even though I was filling it with other things, I found out, um, human resources. I love working with people, but that, that grind of human resources and being, the uh, the doing six jobs at once, that was completely misaligned because I was just doing, I wasn't impacting or there was no purpose in, in those functions. And so it's interesting when you actually allow some of that alignment internally, how you see some of the external is mismatched. And so I guess let's jump into then what is mindfulness meditation? Because I think that's going to give us the answer to that, because I think we have this misperception of both of those practices. Sure. Thank you, Kelly. I'm going to start first with mindfulness. And I'm going to start with what mindfulness is not, because I feel like people in the audience will relate to that because we just spend a lot of time not being mindful. So mindfulness is not when we're just completely lost in our thoughts or just spinning out in our minds. That is not mindfulness. It's sort of the opposite of mindfulness. And we're actually there far more than we even realize that we are. And I'm not talking about the flow we get in when we're using our minds to creatively problem solve or to work together. Like there's a lot of ways we have thoughts that are that are wonderful and flowing, but we spend a lot of time ruminating, remembering, replaying. We spend a ton of time planning, rehearsing. And all of this is really exhausting in our minds, all this this thought chatter. But that's not mindfulness, right? But I think we can all relate to it. The second thing that mindfulness is not is it's not filled with the judgments, again, that are so natural for us to have. Like we have these judgments. I like that. I don't like that. I might be open to that. I'm not open to that thing. I don't want this to be happening. There's a lot of those kinds of judgments that happen in our minds. And those are also not mindfulness. So the two pieces that are mindfulness, sort of the once you have that kind of sense of what it's not, mindfulness is being present. Now I can imagine people in the audience saying, well, I am present, you know, and we do think we're present, but we're still spinning out in our thoughts. We're still planning and remembering, even when we think we're present. So to kind of check in, am I present? Engaging the senses is a way to do that. So we feel the breath or just feel our hands rubbing together. Uh, we look at the a sight, like you were mentioning, looking at the wall, like having some sensory experience. If we're aware of our senses, we are not lost in thoughts. So that's a clue that, hey, I am being mindful right now because I've got an awareness that involves sensory experience somehow. Uh, and the second piece is to have some openness, some curiosity, some interest. 
so that we're not locked in, we're not already made up our mind about something, there is some openness and curiosity uh, to mindfulness. So what I'll put on top of that is uh, a definition of mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn, who's one of the leaders in secular mindfulness. He started mindfulness-based stress reduction 40 some years ago. This is how he defines mindfulness. Awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And so I just phrase that a little differently because that can sound like a lot of words, but it's like we're intentionally paying attention, something sensory here now, and there's curiosity. Is there curiosity? Is there openness? Then we're talking about mindfulness. There's a lot of ways to be mindful, a lot of practices with that. One way to practice and um, cultivate mindfulness is meditation. So that's why you hear a lot about meditation. It's kind of like what you do at the gym when you go to do lift weights or to do get on the treadmill. These are direct routes to becoming more fit. Meditation is a direct route to becoming more mindful. And the meditation typically will involve um, it, what we might call an anchor, like something you come back to again and again. Again, that's sensory. It could be the breath in your body. It could be, like you said, Kelly, staring at a wall. Or it could be staring at a candle flame. That's a sight, you know, using our the sense of sight. It could be closing our eyes and listening to sounds. Maybe there are interesting sounds around you. Maybe you just put on some kind of sound that uh, doesn't have words to it, just music, and you just try to listen really closely to that. So we choose something to pay attention to on purpose, and we're gonna get distracted because we do, we're human, we're gonna have all these thoughts bounce around. And then you notice, oh, I've totally been planning my day for the last five minutes, but you noticed, that's amazing. And then you come back to looking at the candle flame or feeling your breath or listening to sounds and that's rewiring your brain so that you are practicing paying attention differently. Uh, so that's the basics of it, I'd say. Yeah, and thank you for that explanation because it one, it sounds less scary um, and it, it sounds super practical. I mean, these are sprinkles that you can put in throughout your day. And you you just think of even the the little bits of meditation that you can do in moments of time. So a good example is grocery store. When you are sitting in a long grocery store line, right, you're all kind of getting agitated. If you have kids with you, you know that feeling where you're just like waiting for something to go down. They might even be going down wrestling already on the floor. But that is a moment in time in which you have five minutes. You have five minutes presented to you in this day to do something with. A majority of us will sit there and stir in our stress of the kids beating each other up or grab our phones and fill the void there. Mm -hmm. And somehow we've gotten away from communication with other people and the community around us. That's another option. But then there's also those five minutes for you to just zone out. I've even stared at the things in my grocery cart and not thought about the list or what I didn't get. I just stared at the things in my grocery cart. My meditation technique, I think, Joy, is staring at things because it seems like that's the way I can zone out the fastest, but everyone will find their technique, like you said, focusing on your breath, um, focusing on touch or smell or the noises around you. So tell me tell me some of the benefits about this, because I started in, I, I didn't feel any different. And then I realized I started grabbing these little bits of time throughout the day 
unconsciously. And it started to become just a way of life that if I saw a couple minutes presented to me, I would sit and I wouldn't have my phone with me. Or if my kids were on the floor, I would um, play and not think about work and all the chores that I am avoiding. Or I would even be doing laundry and I would just be feeling their little clothes instead of being so overwhelmed with the amount of laundry that I have to do again. And so little things in my life started to shift just from a minute of meditation here, five minutes there. So tell me a little bit about, you know, the overall benefits that we can get, especially people in burnout and this, this chronic stress. Sure. There's a lot of results. We know a lot lot of science that we see a lot of like mindfulness does this or meditation does this. Here's where I'm actually going to put on my statistician hat and say that not all studies should be trusted. Uh, And there's a lot of benefits of meditation, but not everything that is claimed in every single study. What we have seen like repeated through well-designed studies is that a regular meditation practice improves your focus and attention. Like so many pointers to that, that we're better able to focus and pay attention. The other thing that the big result that has been seen is that it reduces anxiety and stress. A regular practice reduces anxiety and stress. Those two alone, I think, are amazing in terms of what this could do uh, for anybody that might want to give it a try. There's also science that talks about how meditation, the regular practice, can help with regulating our emotions. So we're not so basically driven by our thoughts at the whim of our thoughts and our emotions, but we're just better able to regulate them. So there is, a, there is good science t- pointing us to this is going to be helpful. The other thing the science says is it's not saying you need to do this for a half hour every day because that can feel like, oh my gosh, where are people in the audience going to get a half hour where they're going to be able to carve out and do this thing? It's not saying that. What it's saying is regularity is more important than the amount of time. So if you do, like you were just saying, Kelly, one minute, five minute here every day, that's actually better than sitting for an entire hour in meditation once a week. It's it's better to have the regularity because we're rewiring our brains again and again and again. I think what is the biggest benefit, and this is individual, you just shared, Kelly, some of the things that happened for you. For me, you know, once I started meditating, I did start to notice that decrease in anxiety a little bit, just noted a little bit more space, uh, not meeting my edge so quickly. I also noticed an improvement in the relationships in my life, noticed an improve, uh, an improvement's not the right word, more, I also noticed more space for joy, for laughter, for some happiness to come in. And so these kinds of benefits that I've heard, I've been teaching this to a variety of people for years, it's more, how does it show up in life? There's a little bit more ease in life, a little bit extra capacity that you have for yourself and for others in your relationships, not quite at your edge at the end of the day. I mean, you might be near your edge for a little while, but you're not at your edge. And that's what we're going for. We're not doing a 180 degree shift. We might want that, but that's not how life goes. So we're just looking to make these one or two or five degree shifts. And then at the end of the day, the end of six months, the end of a year with regular practice, we really start to see these benefits a bit more ease of more happiness of more like improvement in our relationships. Uh, 
and then on and on and on. And I would just encourage folks if they try it, notice for themselves. What happens for them is the best evidence and the best evidence of what the benefits are. Yeah, and that's a great tip is is to recognize and reflect on that progress because I really didn't notice. And then I was on a trip and the flights were delayed and there was bad weather and people were freaking out on this plane and everyone's going to miss their layover. I got in very late. My short flight turned into like 14 hours of travel. It was hectic and I didn't really care. And uh, when I checked in with one of my friends, he said, well, I would have flipped out. I mean, I would have been freaking out. That I was going to miss my layover. And I was like, you know, I did not realize how calm I have become uh, after using these little bit of techniques sprinkled in throughout my days. And like you said, that edge isn't it's that edge seems further away than it has been where anything will set you off. It seems like it takes you longer to get there or it brushes off a little bit easier. My kids, when they, you know, are on top of things one after another, it doesn't seem to be like I flip over that edge real fast. And then of course you get the parent regret after. And it's, it's interesting how monkey see monkey do happens to as parents. Cause I, I get that a lot in my workshops is I can't find the time I'm a parent and I, I turned that back and I said, it's actually more important that you do it because you are a parent, because there are people watching you. And there's a reason why we are all here today. There's a reason why you are here listening to this show. And it's because we were not taught good stress coping mechanisms. And it's no one's fault. It's, it's science evolving. It's techniques evolving. It's information being available to people. But now we get to change the game. And we get to change the game for ourselves and the people around us. And guess what? If you do that, if you start talking to people in the grocery store or breathing or on your phone, someone else is going to see that and do the same thing. And it will have this beautiful domino effect. If you do meditate or find great meditation techniques, talk about it. Get rid of the taboo around meditation. Uh, go to Joy's website and her show. Her website link will be in the show. Go explore and see what this beautiful technique that has so much breadth of different ways to do it can not only heal you, but maintain this, this life that's full of laughter and happiness instead of stress and anguish where you wake up just dreading the day. Joy, what could someone in burnout, busy working parent, what, what could they do just to begin? Yeah, great question. I like that. Uh, that you were mentioning, you know, I've got my kids are all around and like, how did the monkey see monkey do? Like, how could we be modeling? One example is like with your kids, it could be, I'm just going to sit on the couch and take three breaths. You want to sit here with me? I'm going to sit here and look at this beautiful thing, whatever it might be, this thing right in front of me, the grocery cart. I'm going to look at this for the next minute. Let's do that together. And so it's actually taking a pause. It can be really short, but you're inviting the kids into that pause. It can even be at work, like inviting a little bit of a pause of, I'm just gonna sit here for a minute and breathe before we get started, you know, hang out, do what you wanna do, but we're just, I just need a little bit of a break. It doesn't need to make it a big deal. So small things, regular practice. With meditation, again, starting small. It could be for one minute, it could be for five minutes. If we start making it big and grand, then we don't do it. And what we don't do is not helping us. So whatever short period of time, if you want to choose meditation, first decide, do I want to focus on my breath? Does that feel happy? Do I want to focus on a candle flame or stare at the wall? Do I want to listen to sounds? Like choose where you want to focus and then just set your timer for five minutes and just see how it goes. 
one of the things I hear from everyone that I teach is I've got too busy of a mind. My mind is going. Yes, you do, as does everyone in the entire world. So we're not trying to stop our thoughts. We're not going to have our mind go blank. We're just going to create more space between those things. We're going to notice more when we're thinking and return. You're going to notice thoughts thousands of times. That's okay. Nothing is wrong with that. We're just trying to create more space between them and be more intentional with what we're paying attention to. The other things that I suggest in all my classes that I teach are these what I call everyday mindfulness practices. Like you mentioned, Kelly, you're in the grocery store line. Just stare at the cart and the visuals in the cart. Uh, Stand up and breathe. Do these, I call them like three breath pauses anytime you have a space to pause. Other places that we can practice with regularity is driving. We hit red lights, right? We, we, we're, if you're going to be driving someplace, you're going to run into a red light. We have uh, a feeling about red lights that they're getting in our way. We don't like them. They're, they make us a little edgy because they're, they're getting in our way of something. It's a reframing of that to think, oh, my good grief. Like, this is the only thing in my life that's actually telling me to pause. Right. How many people in your life, I mean, certainly like is your boss or your managers or your coworkers saying, hey, you know what? Take some time out. You know, it's OK. This red light is actually telling you that. So I really encourage people to to enjoy the red light. Take your hands off the steering wheel, relax your shoulders, take a few breaths and just enjoy the fact that you've been given space to not be doing in that moment. It's a reframe, right? It takes a reframe, just like in the grocery store line. But that's where you can practice. Another place is meals because we eat regularly. And I know for a lot of folks listening to this, you might be eating at your desk in front of the computer, like doing your work while you're eating. I would say for the first three bites, I'm not going to make it big and grand, three bites, pay attention to what you're eating. Put down your silverware between bites, put down your food. For three bites, just notice your food. And then you can do whatever you want for the rest of it, but create a pause there. Any place we can create that three breath pause, you have to go to the bathroom, right? We all need to go to the bathroom. Don't need to rush it. Like hang out in the bathroom stall for a few breaths. I mean that. I know it sounds silly, but create more spaces, more pauses, because we often think we don't have enough time to do this practice, but it could be in a bathroom break. It could be waiting in line. It could be at a red light. It could be when we're waiting for a meeting to start. It could be when something gets canceled in our day that we don't immediately fill it and we just create a pause and check in with ourselves. So those are some places to start. Really recommend start small, regular, small. And if there's a practice that works, keep doing that because that's where you'll start to see some results. Yeah, that's wonderful. So what services can you offer the burnout community? I'll put Joy's website link in the show notes, but tell us a little bit more about about some of these services you were talking about. I offer a variety of in-person and online mindfulness classes. If you're in the Appleton, Wisconsin area, I, I teach uh, a mindfulness 101 and 201 class and I offer three hour retreats on Saturdays if that's all you've got is three hours for yourself. I have a number of classes online that I teach on a variety of different topics around mindfulness and you can find all that on my website bornjoy.com. 
What I would suggest most for what I give is things that are free and small. So on my website, you can sign up for a daily text message that I send out. It's called the pocket pause, the pocket pause. And it's basically, we all need reminders. This is the hardest part is remembering. I think we all have sort of this intention of being more mindful and we forget, we get wrapped up. So my text message comes at a different time each day and it will say something like, take a three breath pause, notice how you are, you know, it'll just give you these little things of ways to shift. And I have a number of folks that hundreds of folks that get that and find that it's really helpful and it's free and it's easy, something you could try out. I also offer a free uh, five day mindfulness class via email. If you kind of like these daily doses of just what is this about and want to have a little bit better sense of it, uh, then you can grab that. And also I have 30 plus audio guided meditations on my website. Just if you're looking for something and you need help with the meditation, you uh, it's hard to find, listen to the sounds or feel your breath. There's a lot of guided meditations that I offer there too. That's wonderful. Lots of resources. I love the text message reminder because we all know the moment it beeps, blinks, we answer to it. That's why we got ourselves in these places because we're always in response mode. So that text is a good reminder for yourself to take time for yourself. Well, thank you, Joy, for being here. And I hope you guys go check out not only her resources, but some of her videos on her website. I know you're not lazy. Most people in burnout are high performers, those serving others before themselves. Don't discount the step today, the step in which you focus on your self-growth. Piecing together the puzzle is half the journey. Rediscovering energy through new actions and habits is the other. Do not underestimate the strength in your actions and the beast to do hard things that lies within you. Check out more burnout resources on my website to move from zombie mode back to liveliness. See you soon.